the Magic Book Club podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Magic Book Club. My name's Tom Price. Thanks for joining us. I hope you're having a lovely time reading your way into 2019. We've got some recommendations for you on the show today. We're going to be talking to Sini Glaister. It's her second novel. It's called Mr. Doubler Begins Again. And much like on the last book club where we talked to Anne Griffin about when all is said, which is about an old man approaching the latter stages of his life. Um, similar story for Mr. Doubler Begins Again. It's about an isolated old guy who is a potato farmer. It's a book about potatoes. It's really great. Anyway, we'll be talking to Sini shortly. In the meantime, we're going to Wales, my native Wales, and we're going to be talking to Vanessa Savage right now. Uh, She's written a fantastic, chilling, slightly scary book uh, called The Woman in the Dark, set in Wales by the sea, which for anyone who went to Wales as a kid for their holidays will know how terrifying that can be. Anyway, here we are then. Here's Vanessa Savage and The Woman in the Dark. Debut author, Vanessa. Debut author, yes, indeed. So is this all like the first time then? It is, first time for everything, yeah. The book's only been out a couple of weeks, so I'm mm. still at that kind of excited stage of if I see it in a bookshop, I have to stop and take a photo. So yes. I've been kind of going into every Waterstones I can find <laughs> to see if I can see it on the shelves. Well, it's a fine-looking book. It's called The Woman in the Dark, and it looks fantastic. A great slug line. What she can't see can hurt yes, her. Yes, indeed. Who comes up with the slug line? Was that you as well? Um, no, that was uh, my wonderful publishers who mm. kind of came up with that. So, Good. Yes. Thanks, publishers. Thanks, team. <laughs> yes, thank it's, you. It's a team effort, right? Getting it the book certainly off the is. It certainly is. Yes, yeah. between publishers and, and my agent as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk a bit about the book. Um, it's a thriller. I keep, I've got the song Psycho Thriller my head <laughs> yes in my head I'm like, psycho thriller <laughs> but it is, is it? it's a good psychological thriller this. it is yes very much a psychological thriller kind of domestic noir as they sometimes call it yeah um that kind of starts off with a family in crisis sarah is recovering from a breakdown after the death of her mother mm-hmm. her teenage children joe and mia are kind of already sort of having issues of their own going a little bit off the rails and patrick the husband the father is trying to hold it all together Um, And after Sarah takes what she says is an accidental overdose, he comes up with what he thinks is the perfect solution. They need a fresh start. Yeah. So let's go to a really scary house by the sea. Yes. Well, the the thing is, I mean, for for Patrick, or so he claims, it's his childhood home, somewhere he grew up, this idyllic Victorian house by the sea, panoramic sea views, original features, Mm. beautiful. He had this wonderful life there. But... So it always has to be a bat. Yeah. Um, it's since become notorious and known locally as the murder house mm-hmm. after um, three members of a family were brutally murdered there 15 years earlier. Mm-hmm. But Patrick is insistent that he can make it the house it once was, yeah. this sort of perfect, wonderful family home. Good. Yeah. There's so many bits in there that I'm picking out in my head. Like, first of all, the murder house. Everyone knows. Certainly, I grew up in a small town in South Wales. Yes. You're Welshy as well, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Yep, South Wales. And there were, I'm not saying this is specific to South Wales, <laughs> there were a good couple of murder houses in yes. my head, at least. Yes, indeed. Not in yes. real life, thankfully. Yeah. But I would go past the spooky looking houses. Yeah. And we yeah. love that. There's something about the human conscious. I don't know. We love that idea of a spooky looking house. Yes, indeed. Definitely. Um, and. What I quite liked was this house from the outside just looks so perfect. Mm. But then you kind of go inside and that kind of what happens behind closed doors. Is, There's a uh, moment early on when he he walks around with her and he closes the door to... His, yes. That's really nice. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think you kind of get a sense quite early on that maybe the idyllic childhood that Patrick describes maybe wasn't so wonderful after all. Yeah. And these are the kind of things that Sarah picks up when they've moved into the house and Patrick sort of begins to change. I'll tell you what's delicious about this book. Delicious, <laughs> Vanessa, is the way you crank up the tension. I know that's... It's just really hard to do well. 
It's really hard to do that well. And just that sense of, like being in a room that's gradually getting hotter. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I like know. that image when he's when his bedroom, he, he closes the door to his bedroom. Yes, indeed. Going on, it's uncanny. It's, you've yeah. got a canny knack of doing that. It's yeah, great. and there's, there's all the things going on with the house with Mia's insistent that well, she thinks it's haunted. There are kind of unexplained cold spots, and you're kind of as a reader, you're not really sure is this real or or is it in their minds because they know what happened in the house and yeah. and as they the family kind of explore what happened and and how did it end up as the murder house and yeah. can the memories of these terrible things sort of still be yeah. kind of in the house, it's got. Um, it also charms with me that idea of yeah, exactly like you're saying. Can they st- can those things stay in the house? There's a house in uh, Muswell Hill where Dennis Nielsen, I think it was, killed loads of people, and the flat perennially comes up for sale every yeah, nine or ten years. Yeah, it's his basement yeah. flat, and it's been redone, guys. Like yeah. it's fine, but no yeah. one buys it. No, no. Well, you'd kind of have to think, as there there must be houses out there where terrible things have happened that people mm. are now living quite happily in, and you know how how many of us know the sort of complete history mm. of our own houses. You know, you don't tend to look into it. And the original idea for the murder house um, kind of came from a little note I'd made from something I'd written earlier, which is kind of a bottom drawer book, mm-hmm. um, where two characters were wandering around Gloucester in the 90s. Yes. And obviously, I'm with the, with the West House and Cromwell Street, obviously that house was destroyed. And I think I'd made this little note in my book. It was just something like... What if the house hadn't been destroyed? And what if you bought it and moved in there? Mm. And so it kind of... It unpacks from there. Unpacks from there, And also the idea of uh, moving back into your childhood home, because I grew up in the same house the first 18 years of my life, and we sold that house now, and I see it when I go home. Yeah. And the idea of, as a grown adult, stepping back into that world, well, that horrifies me. Yeah. Not because anything bad happened, particularly as a kid, but just... It's a big step backwards, and again, that's a really human thing, that idea of stepping into your former life. Yes, yes, indeed. And I think what... Patrick wanted to do he always thought that this house could be perfect and he wants to try and rewrite history really and turn it into this perfect house that he always dreamed it could be mm. doesn't go so well doesn't doesn't go so well no <laughs> yeah. definitely it's not it's really hard on these sorts of books well, on all books because yeah. when I did my degree I remember they would always talk about what happened at the end. I'd often start a book for for my course and I'd turn up and they'd be talking about the thing that happened at the end and I'd be sitting there yeah. in this seminar going, oh, no spoilers, guys. I what know, are you doing? It's yeah. frustrating. And we definitely can't do that with this book. No. There are some twists, maybe? It's yes, to say, yes. To say. Yes, yes, definitely mm. some kind of twists and turns. So, mm. yes, it probably wouldn't be good for me to just say, and then at the yeah. end, this happens. Yeah, we don't <laughs> yeah. want to do that. And then no. it's like, you don't need to read the book now, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's all there for you. Vanessa told you everything that happens. Um, and it picks apart as well. You look at the idea of family. They They've got kids as well. How old yeah. are they? Get the teenagers, right? Um, yes, seventeen and fifteen. Tricky so, ages. Tr- tricky ages. Yes, and obviously it's very difficult for them because they're kind of uprooted from their from their lives and their friends and moved to this completely new town at quite kind of critical junctures in their in their lives. So yeah. they're kind of going through their own issues there yeah. and moving into this house and I think yeah, I suppose teenage children probably don't want to be moved they start off living in a city and and now they're moved to this very small town where there's nothing really happening yeah, uh, yeah. maybe if they were younger they'd enjoy the fact that they were right on the beach but uh, not when they're 15 or 17 no, no no there aren't enough whatsapp groups that will make up for being stuck no, definitely in that not, house. Yeah. have you got kids yourself I do yes I've got two daughters yes um Eldest nearly 14, the youngest is 12. So did you so. draw on them, do you think, much for, for these characters, or are they completely different? Not really. I think I didn't really kind of draw on real-life people because I put all the characters through such terrible things that... Yeah. Uh, these kids in this book, in The Woman in the Dark, they're going to be scarred for life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Indeed. And, and yeah, my, my children have already said, can they read it? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Definitely not yet. You know, they a will few do one more day. years. I know. How I know. weird is that? They're going to find out what was going on in mum's head. <gasps> I know. It's quite kind of scary. Like, forever, as I'm writing, because I write downstairs, sort of in the kind of middle of the house. Right. And they'll kind of come up behind me. I'll have to quickly close the window down because yeah. I'm like, and, and they're like, oh, I saw a swear word. You <laughs> swore in your book. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, please don't read the rest. So that's interesting. So that's how you do your writing, is it? In the middle of the house with yes. life going on around you? Yeah, well, mostly I do um, the majority of my writing when the children are at school mm-hmm. because I'm not very good at writing when people are around me. So I can't have the TV on or anything. Do you have music just... on? Do you stick magic on? Um, oh, I can't listen. See, I can't listen to radio. It'd be too distracting. Yeah, I do. To say that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I keep just... asking that, and every every writer goes, "No, I can't have the radio on." Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the thing. I just be, I just be like, yeah, listening to that too much. I yeah. tend to have kind of music on in the background, but sort of mood music, kind of nothing. None, none of my favourite songs because then I'd be singing along to those <laughs> instead of writing. But yeah. just sort of background music that sort of suits the mood of the book. So. Yeah. Listen to a lot of sort of folky and American Gothic, quite dark kind of music when I'm writing. Yeah, it's, interesting. Yeah. Is this going to be like Welsh noir? Is this going to be a new thing? See, now I would love that. I think there's so many kind of places in Wales that you know. I think with Hinterland, you know, the mm. the TV set is so kind of spooky. That kind of keeping faith Welsh. as well. Yes, How yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think yes. I'm going to start a new thing, Welsh noir. Yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah, so we have yeah. Jane Harper sort of started the outback noir in Australia, and Vanessa Savage has started Welsh noir. Yes, that's official. Yes, it is official. Okay, good, good. Welsh noir. We coined it, guys. We coined that phrase. Um, so, can you? I always ask this question to, to the writers who come in because I just think getting a whole book written is just this incredible achievement, and I am in awe of anyone who can do it. Um, can you believe you're here? Can you believe you've got your debut novel out and it's happening? No. How long have you wanted this to happen? Oh, many, many years. I kind of started out writing sort of short stories and very short flash fiction, nothing longer than about sort of 500 words, and then came up with um, an idea for a novel. And originally I thought I wanted to write women's fiction. I actually joined the Romantic Novelist Association. Oh. So, um, so Mills and Boone type stuff? Well, not full-on romance. It was always kind of darker fiction but there were relationships at the heart of it but I did soon realise that maybe what I wanted was not for my characters to kiss each other I kind of wanted them to kill each other so (laughs) kind of turned to crime and I think as soon as I sort of came up with that idea um, and and started writing that I realised no this is this is where I kind of need to be Um, and then went on to start working with my agent Mm -hmm. um, which was fabulous and went through a few drafts and then it went out it went out on submission to publishers it's probably about 18 months ago now and that yeah. was the most exciting kind of couple of weeks when I was getting constant phone calls from my agent as yeah. to what was going on and there were foreign rights deals going on amazing kind of calls to um, US publishers as well so it was yeah. it was all very exciting it's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster ever since then kind mm. of going through editing and meeting my wonderful publishers and everything so yeah. it's been it's been amazing can't believe it's happening to you but i'm not surprised it's a great book you oh, are thank you very much like, you know i wish you all the best um is there going to be a welsh noir two what two what's next um what yes the there is yes that's um the second book is going through the kind of editing stage at the moment. Okay. Again... Are so you going to be one of these once-a-year writers who managed to bang... Like Ian Rankin's banging them out all the time, or are you going to be a bit more slow to oh, gestate? I, yeah, I mean, I kind of hope so. I mean, I was in the fortunate position, I think, by the time I got the deal for this one, I was already sort of halfway through a draft of the second book. So uh-huh. um, that was quite good, and I'm already starting to think of ideas for the third. And I, I do like the idea of kind of keeping them all set in Wales. The second one is in... A different village. Okay. But 
you know, not too far along the coast, sort of a different fictional village. I kind of keep my towns fictional because of the things I put the poor characters through <laughs> and the inhabitants of these places through. Yeah, yeah. Um, go to Tintin Abbey. That's the spookiest oh, place. Yes, yes, it? it is. Yeah. A, I used to go there because uh, it's really near where I grew up, and there's a there's a disused church in the hill above Tintin Abbey. Oh. So as you're going uh, out of Wales, and Tintin Abbey's on your left, the river's on your left. Yes, just yeah. on the right by the entrance, you can go up this old track yeah and at the top there's an empty church and you can walk around it it's the scary i swear to oh, you oh definitely have to check that go out. and look at it yeah, it's the scariest definitely place definitely have to check that so out good. yeah um but these aren't really horror films they're horror books rather not films uh, these aren't really <laughs> horror books they are they're sort of slow burning and they the tension yes, is the thing yeah what's the thing it's about kind of getting inside people's minds and kind of um experience experiencing these things as the characters experience them so that you're kind of right there with them as, as the cellar door creaks open or yeah, just kind of feel this kind of creepy breath on the back of your neck and, yeah. and there's someone watching the house and it's that kind of that paranoia and the fear. You're asking questions all the time as well. That's what that does. It, uh, the, the, you're asking questions of us and we just want to keep going all the time. Yes, You've got that yes. page turn of thing going yes, on. Yes, yes. <laughs> you just you keep going. <laughs> that's like, good, that's good. <laughs> I know, it's good for you. It's bad for my life though I'm tired because <laughs> of your book. Um, all right, listen, thank you so much for joining us, Vanessa Savage, on the, the Magic Book Club. Um, before we lose you, we also have to ask a few okay. the same questions. Yeah, okay. So uh, when you're writing, yes. um, who is the one person who's allowed to interrupt you? Everyone else is not allowed in the room. Who's the one person who can come in? No, I'm not sure I could allow any person to interrupt me, but my dog can interrupt me. Correct answer. Yes. What is yes. your dog? She is a very small Jack Russell called Pickles. Amazing. Um, and she is very good because she knows my routine. I, I sort of take her for a walk in the morning, come back, I start work, she goes to sleep. Lunchtime, in she trots with one of her toys. She's saying, right, it's time to take a break. It's amazing. Play with me. You know, so she's kind of knows my routine. So it's perfect. Yes, because you know yes. Jeffrey Archer's got the hourglass. Do you know about this? He's got this three-hour hourglass, right. and he flips it over the egg timer. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and it goes for three hours. And as soon as it stops, he has to walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. It's kind of good. I'll take that break. Yeah, be uh, okay. yeah. Yes. And it's a disciplined thing, writing, right? So for anyone listening, and lots of people do listen to this who want to write their own books, the discipline is a really important part. Of yes, it. and it's, yes, Twitter is always dangerous because uh, if I go through a. Tr- tricky editing phase kind of uh, you know, tempted to kind of oh, just like, oh, look yeah. on Twitter for a bit and yeah it's lethal it is yes <laughs> um, you've already answered you don't listen to music when you're writing that's fine we'll just assume you've got magic on oh yeah oh, always on. when I take my break obviously obviously magic goes straight on of course straight it does. on definitely answer, Vanessa, thank you <laughs> for that one and then finally I guess who's the big influence who is the one you know are you, are you like this is Val McDermott who is your kind of I adore them and I love what they do and I want to try and emulate their career Maybe not, I would say biggest influence, especially kind of growing up and onwards with Stephen King. Yes. I kind of used to, my dad had all his books on his shelf and, and I had to kind of pinch them off. I'm probably far too young to be reading Stephen King, mm. but kind of, I still read him now, all his books and everything. So obviously The Shining, definite kind of elements of The Shining in the book, mm. and The Stand. And mm. I remember my dad, when we were going on holiday, my dad always used to let me buy a book from Smith's at the airport. And I yes. bought, and I was only 12, and I bought Needful Things. <gasps> and he was, uh, oh, I know. Yeah. And he was <laughs> like, I can't 12. believe, yeah, 12 years old. He yes. was like, I shouldn't let you do this, but I want you to get into books. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. Oh, that, well, that's yeah. brilliant. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So yeah. rude. So yeah. rude. Have you read uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mercedes, those new ones? Yes, yes, I love those. They're yeah, because yeah, the first one is sort of more 
straight kind of crime, but then you get that kind of Stephen King element as I think the, the books go on, don't you? He can't help yeah. himself. No, definitely Stephen not. Stephen King is, is good. always yes. becoming Stephen King. Yes. All right, excellent. So, uh, Vanessa Savage, Welsh Noir starts here. You heard it here first. Thank you so much for coming in. And The Woman in the Dark is a great, thrilling read, and you'll probably end up reading it in an afternoon. Years of work for Vanessa, one afternoon's work for you. There you Fantastic. Go. Yes, thank coming. you very much. Nice thank you. Me. That's the fabulous Vanessa Savage. Thank you very much to Vanessa for joining us here on the Magic Book Club. Still time for one more book, though. On today's episode, we're going to go now to Sini Glaister, uh, who has already got a fairly successful career. She, her first book um, was called The Museum of Things Left Behind. Really, really critically acclaimed. Went Did really, really well, that book. Um, and now uh, she's got a new book out. It's called Mr. Doubler Begins Again. And it's about a man who is farming potatoes. Here's Sini to tell us more. Second time author. Correct. Thank you. Sini uh, Glaister. I've, I've managed to pronounce your Christian name correctly as well. I very nearly called you Seni, S-E-N-I. You might be the first person that's actually ever called me Seni, as it's meant to be, so thank you for that. But that is, yeah. that is only <laughs> because you said, hello, my name's Seni, and I went, oh, okay, I clocked that. <laughs> Tell us how the name Seni came about, please. It's actually a shortening, but I've always, always been Seni, certainly uh, all the way through my adulthood, and only my mother calls me Serena. Okay. And normally, you know... As you in, can imagine, if I've done something if wrong. If you've done something wrong, yeah. you're okay, yeah, I'm Thomas if I've yeah. done something wrong. Uh, so I'm Thomas quite a lot, in fact. Um, you've not done anything wrong. You've done something brilliant, in fact. Mr. Doubler Begins Again is your second novel. Um, it's fantastic. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's nice. Nice it's out in the world, I must say. Yeah, tell us about this guy. Tell us about, I mean, we have to start with him at the beginning. Tell us all about Mr. Doubler, please. Uh, Mr. Doubler is... Um, I think he's fascinating. Uh, people seem to find him charming and he's very fortunate because actually he's a bit of a pedant, he's a little bit grumpy. He's a bit of a pedant. He's, he's uh, a lot of a pedant. <laughs> he lives in uh, almost total isolation. Um, but like many people, I think, when you get to know somebody's story or or their backstory, and we probably all have both, mm. um, you understand why. He's a bit grumpy and, and why he's become the way he is. Um, but he does, he does have a friend, he does have a, a, a confidant who is his housekeeper, Mrs Millwood, who visits every day. And it's only in her absence that he realises that that is a friendship and it's something he relies on. Yeah, so he's in a sort of, he has a kind of managed loneliness, yeah. to borrow Brexit terminology. <laughs> he feels fine, he feels fine he with feels it. Fine, he, doesn't need, he doesn't think he needs anyone. In fact, he'd rather be left alone. Yeah. Um, but yes, as I say, when, when she's absent, he realises how much he does need her. Mm. He needs those those lunchtime conversations he has. Well, what's brilliant about the medium of books is that you can write about someone who's by themselves a lot because we can go right into their heads. And yes. he's got, there's so much stuff in him that chimes, like the, the like you say, the pedantry, um, the, the family. And family is an important thing to him as well, right? Family is an important thing and it's not always comfortable. And I think that's something that really, really interests me, um, much to the horror of my own children who thought I might be... <laughs> reflecting on my own relationship with them I think sometimes family is difficult yeah and um, we don't always like our family well we don't choose our family right yeah. <laughs> and um, I think examining those relationships um, where it isn't perfect where it's not quite comfortable is endlessly fascinating mm. and his relationship with grandkids as well yeah yeah gone well, off to private school or whatever and become yeah. somehow different very, very different from him very distanced from him um, and I think it's the relationship particularly with his son, who's not 
terribly pleasant um, and who has got his eye on on the farm and and hastening uh, Mr. Doubler's uh, demise or certainly downsize. Yeah. Um, but even even with his son, you begin to understand what's behind that by the end of the book. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. whether you necessarily feel any love or sympathy for him, but you can understand where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's up against challenges in every sense, his age, uh, his family, his farm as well. So there's a sense of enclosure that's happening with the farm, right? So it's sort of being surrounded by someone else and he he's... It's almost like, and as an as a, a thing you often get with the elderly, it's almost like people want them gone because they're in the way. That's the they're that's an the obstacle, and I yes, think a lot yeah. of people feel as they um, become older that uh, maybe maybe physically, if they're moving a little bit slower, they are physically in people's way. Mm. Um, but but you don't necessarily want to feel like that. You 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 know, with Mister Doubler, he's. Um, being surrounded by another farmer who is making real progress, who is, you know, growing and selling more potatoes than he is. But Mr. Doubler is quietly making um, making significant strides in the world of potatoes. Yes, how much plot could you give away in that? Not much. Okay. I want people to, you know, buy yeah. it, read it. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, he's, no, he's the, a gorgeous the, character. We want to know the, more there about are, him. There are... The stuff happens. The stuff happens, and I, I wouldn't want to... Um, I wouldn't want to spoil it, but he's uh, he's very dedicated to potato growing, and he feels right from the outset, right from the beginning of the book, that he is on the brink of of making quite an important uh, breakthrough in potato growing. It sounds like such a dry sentence. He's, he's very dedicated <laughs> to potato growing. I have to tell you, listeners, having read it, that it's fascinating. Like the detail. This is what I love when people really get stuck in. You must have had to do a lot of research because, believe it or not, Sini, uh, I didn't know much about potatoes before I read this book. They happen to be my favourite carb. Everyone's got yeah. a favourite carb. I was about to say crisps are my favourite carb. I was like, oh, no, hang on. There you go, hang back on to potatoes, you see. Um, yeah. Why on earth did you, I mean, forget forget all the the range of human emotions and activities going on here. Why did you decide to write a book about potatoes? I um, It, it was a, a sentence I heard, overheard, I overheard, uh, and it was just a chance thing. Um, somebody told me about a the second uh biggest or best potato grower in the area who was depressed and I thought immediately well of course he's depressed he's only <laughs> the second biggest potato grower um so I started to think backwards from there what right. what what might have actually made him sad um and 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 Dubler then formed fairly uh, fully in my head yeah 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 mm. and also he's got stuff I mean that thing where he's he's rebuilt the Vodka, um, yeah. Creation. I'm trying. It's what is it that makes vodka? It's not a brewery. Is it? Or is it? Is it distillery? It's a distillery, it's a distillery yeah. isn't it? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so he's got that going on as well, which he's very passionate about, and very particular over as well. And he has um, a fairly complex bartering system as well, where yes. he can trade his product, uh, which means he doesn't really have to go out and about. It enables his uh, reclusive life lifestyle. And that's something we learn, we learn about him very early on, yeah. isn't it? He does not want to go out. He wants no. to stay where he is. Yeah, he's very happy at Mirth Farm. And yet the world comes to him. Yeah. Okay, all right. So that is, that's the setup for the book. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. So this is your second book. It is, yeah. How long did it take you to write? Um, it, took, it was quicker than my first book. I, um, the process of, of publishing is longer than the writing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wrote this in under a year. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. 
How many, how many words is it? Like 90,000 words? What's the uh, Just over 100. I think 110 maybe, oh, 120. Yeah, yeah. My right. editor can correct me afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm fortunate in that I'm a quick writer um, and providing I carve out a bit of time to think, then I can actually write and get my ideas down quite quickly. And how heavily do you plan it? Are you one of these people who just sort of, yeah, I'm just sort of writing it, I'm discovering it as I go, or do you have it very rigidly ready to go? Not rigid at all. My characters, they're they're character-based, my books, and I imagine a scenario and then have to wait and see how they respond to it. Right, Okay. And I can't force them at that point to respond in any other way. Do you have that thing, that sort of weird status where you feel like they're just doing their own thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's really spooky. It is, it, That's spooky. It's not, it's not spooky. I think, it's, um, I think if you can find yourself in a position where you can relax into it and listen to how your characters might respond, it feels very much like they are just doing their own thing. Of course, you're driving it. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm listening and going, yes, of course I'd do that. Of course I'd say that. Mm. Or, or equally, no, no way would they respond like that. Mm. So that that it's their character. I get their characters very, very fully formed in my head, and then it, that drives the um, that drives the action. Right. Okay. And how long? How long did you do other things for before? You, were you always writing? Did you have no, other jobs? I've, I've, I've always run my own businesses since the age of seventeen. Oh wow! Yeah. Do you still do all that now? So yeah. you, so that, but that's yeah. Mr. Doubler, right? Because he's got his own business going on. So that's a. Yeah. Do you draw on that a lot? Um, no, his business is very different. I have never yet been a potato farmer. Um, <laughs> you've, got, you've got the knowledge now. How, <laughs> well, did you research it? How on earth did you research potato farming? I, I wrote what I wanted to write. Well, this, is, this comes down to how I, how I plot and how I characterise. I write what I want to write mm. and what I believe is the truth and then I research to check I haven't made any blunders. I see. I've got a degree of knowledge um, about the subject and then obviously... I, I'll then research and then if I find a really interesting nugget of information I didn't know, I will backfill and go and weave it into the plot. Mm. Um, and that was, um, that's always fun. It's like, wow, not only, does, not only did I hope that happened in real life, but actually it's even better. Yes. And then I'll, I'll go and... Um, and use that to, yeah, to build Yeah, and then I'll, I'll go and use that. So yeah. I, I, because my time is quite limited, as I'm sure everyone's is, when I'm writing, I'm just trying to be creative Mm. Um, and then I have other moments where I find it easier to edit or I find it easier to research and do you when you finish a book like Mr Doubler which is so built around this guy do you mourn for him do you miss him when he's gone from your life or will he come back I don't think he will come back Um, I really don't think he he will I I like the fact he's out there Mm -hmm. and I like the fact people are responding to him and I like the fact people are being very generous about him mm-hmm. um and it, it it's sort of as if he exists outside of my head now which is yeah. lovely he's gone yeah the, ne- the nest yeah. is empty yeah yeah absolutely but your nest definitely isn't empty is it you've got about 938 children haven't you how many kids have you actually got um close i have four four that's yeah. enough yeah feels like that. So um, and they're a- not they're not they're not children anymore a, a couple are officially legally right. Children, all right, I'm responsible. But it's very hard to. I'm always impressed with people who, you know, kids or businesses or whatever, who manage to carve out the time to write. It's so hard to do that. Um, I think, um, I, I suppose writing for me is the thing I do on my own, it's yeah. my solitary pursuit. 
and no one can help me. Um, they can only hinder me in that process. So that is a bit of uh, time I carve out uh, to be absolutely on my own. And it's and I, I do need that. I absolutely need that. Um, other people might run or, you know, do yoga or any one of those things where you just take yourself away from everything else. I happen to write. Mm. Um, what's funny is, though, that you think it's a very solitary process. And, of course, the, the act of being an author is not solitary. I, no. I do things like this and yes. talk to people about it. Yes, you've book, got book so. tours. Um, oh, I'm, I dream of oh, a right, book okay. tour. <laughs> <laughs> you can set off on a book tour. You can take them I might with my book tucked under my arm. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I love, I love, um, I love the opportunity, obviously, and uh, and and talking about the book to people is is part of it. A lot of that happens online, obviously, and I'm yes. um, endlessly thankful for the bloggers out there that take the time to read and review and be passionate um, um, about what you've done. It's incredibly helpful, particularly at the early stage where you're waiting to hear what people think. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and terrifying, presumably. Oh, well. completely terrifying. That's what I'm always impressed about. It yeah. is a soul, you're by yourself. It's not, um, this was not as terrifying as my first book. My first book was truly terrifying, sending that out into the world. Yeah. Um, I happened to be involved in the book world. Right. As my day job, I ran a book business at the time. So I sent my first book out anonymously because I knew most of the people it would be sent out to, and oh which God, made so it awkward. much worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't want them laughing in my face. It would be ridiculous. Go back to your day job. <laughs> um, but it was, um, yeah, it was uh, picked up anonymously, which was great. So is there a plan for a third? What is the plan for the third? I have delivered my thir oh, third like already? novel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I wrote it while this was um, in the sort of the publishing phase, the final edits and the yeah. copy editing and the jacket and the you know, following its own schedule. Um, I have just delivered my, yes, my third novel. Um, can you tell us what it's called? I don't think I can. I really like the title, um, but it is a collaboration from this point. Okay. Um, I, if, it's really important, I think, to... I wanted to call this book, I wanted to call it just Dubler, and everyone thought that it sounded like a crime novel. Oh, yeah, what, um, a grizzled detective called yeah. Dubbler who and, eats potatoes um, by day. But because in my head it was Dubbler, I, I, I talked to my family about it as Dubbler. It became Dubbler in my head. You know, the same with Eleanor Oliphant. She wanted to call it Eleanor Oliphant. Now, did she? Yeah, they yeah. made her change it to Eleanor Oliphant. It's yeah. completely fine. Yeah, they like, um, they like long, longer titles. Well, on Amazon these days, books and I called Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. The must-read novel of 2017 <laughs> yeah, strikes absolutely. again. Please read this yeah. now, thank you. Crazy, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it, it is a collaboration and you need your uh, the sales team and the editorial team to be really comfortable because you want them you know, you want them to have that buy-in. You want them to be excited. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and there's no point battling. I, I'm hoping by but ten, I will always get my way. Right. Okay. You know, I will stamp. Fine. I will stamp my fist and say, "This yeah. is what it's called." Yeah, don't yeah. you dare make your demands. It. Make your demands. Now. Well, <laughs> um, um, I demand that you come back for book three, please. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Senior Glaster. Uh, Mr. Doubler begins again. 
uh, is out now. And I, I'm going to put it out there. This is the best book about potatoes that I've ever read. Thank you. I'm going to take that. Okay, fine. <laughs> put, that, put that on the dust, on the dust cover. Uh, thank you, Stevie. That was lovely. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you very much to Vanessa Savage, the author of The Woman in the Dark, which is out now, and the fabulous Sini Glaister, author of Mr. Doubler Begins Again. Very good books, uh, getting your 2019 off to the best possible start. We'll be back soon for more Magic Book Club. Have a great day. Thank you. 